You can go ahead and be seated. Good morning, church family. Those of you online, welcome today. A um, lot happening, so happy Memorial Day. Beautiful day. In your bulletin, there's a lot of important stuff in there for you guys to, to check out, so please do that. If you're at home online, just go onto the web and you can get the same information. I will have to say that we, I want to bring attention to um, a Disciple Land mission offering. Um, you guys gave just about $300 to go forward to help out Pastor Dennis and uh, Vinia Agri over in uh, Liberia. So we want to say thank you for that. And then um, as tradition, we want to remember those who not only served, but those that have fallen. So for those of you that served in armed forces in the past or currently, would you just please stand? So we thank you very much. Thank you. It's because of your selflessness and your commitment to our country, we have freedoms that we enjoy. So again, thank you. I also want to take a moment to um, pay homage to those that really who gave the ultimate sacrifice. So let's just take a moment of silence in remembering them. Thank you. Um, the offering will come forward. We're going to go to prayer. We want to recognize Alice Bosveld, who's serving uh, Reach Global for crisis. Um, we want to lift him up. We also want to go to the Lord in prayer for what we have. Um, I got some weird clothes on today, which is probably not normal church attire, but... Um, We'll find out about that in a minute or two. So let's pray. Father, we thank you for this time. We thank you for who you are. We thank you for your blessings, your gifts. We thank you for what you've given us. And Father, as we give back to you, um, may you just have your way with the money, the ties that we give, so that you can do your work through WCC in this community, in our extended community, and those that you bring into our, uh, our church body. We pray these things in your Son, Lord Jesus' name. Amen. Father God, Lord, we thank you. You are a good Father. You love us unconditionally. You're with us in the hard things. You never leave nor forsake. Father, as we are here today to hear your word, Father God, I ask that your Spirit would be amongst us. That would move us to hear, not only hear, but then to do something with it. Father God, thank you for your vessel. Thank you that you're going to use a broken pot like myself today, and I ask that you be with us um, as we get into your word. We pray these things in your Son, Lord Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so I am one of the elders here, and... I'm filling in. So, I'm going to ask for your grace and your kindness 
<laughs> things that we've been talking about a lot, uh, the elder boards has been really trying to get you to buy in. And you have done that. So I want to thank you. Um, you have been very forgiving. You've extended love. You've extended grace to one another. And that goes a long way for unity. So um, this is the stuff that I would kind of wear when I was a, re- a working firefighter. Now, I'm, as you know, I just retired. Um, but for those of you that have served in the armed forces, you know how important it really is to trust in your training and your equipment before you go into battle. And it seems as if the world around us is, is in turmoil. I mean, if you're not seeing it, then you better open up your eyes because it's happening. And uncertainty is looming everywhere we turn. Um, and that puts stress into our lives. And I feel like we need some practical instruction from God's word on spiritual warfare. So today we're going to go into the armor of God. We're going to be talking about just that. So as a firefighter myself, I needed certain training and I had to have confidence in the protective um, equipment, my PPE, which is the stuff that's sitting right here. It's personal protective equipment. If I didn't have trust in that stuff, I wouldn't be able to go into a raging fire, which a, a working fire, house fire could get up to 200 or 2,000, excuse me, degrees. And that stuff is not going to protect me fully, but it gives me some. <laughs> if I was exposed to that kind of heat for long, yeah, I wouldn't be here standing here today. But I have to trust that it's going to do its job. Um, so we're going to talk about the nature of warfare. Our fight is not against people, but it's against Satan. Amen? Ephesians six twelve says, For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. In warfare, there's always an objective. In many wars, the objective is land. Right now, Russia and Ukraine are fighting over land. All right? In the past, in Afghanistan, we're fighting because we want to destroy the power base of terrorism. Hitler fought because he wanted to create a superior race. The southern states fought the Civil War because they wanted to be free from the oppression of the northern states. I mentioned these wars not to... Not not because I want to say who was right or who was wrong, but to show that in every war there is an objective. There's a reason we are fighting the war. And the same is true with spiritual warfare. If If we are going to wage war in Satan's kingdom, we have to know what our objective is. Our objective, our mission is to rescue people from Satan's grip, to free them from his control, just as Jesus said at the start of his ministry in Luke 4, verses 18 through 19, he said, The Spirit of the Lord is on me, because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom from the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind, to set the oppressed free, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. So again, it's not against people our fight, but it's against Satan. Secondly, our fight is a spiritual fight, not a physical fight. Often in our culture that denies the supernatural, we are tempted to look for a physical solution for everything. Education especially gets a lot of attention. It seems that no matter what the problem, 
AIDS, gun violence, domestic violence, rape, alcoholism, drug addiction, gambling, or anything else, the solution in the mind of our culture always involves more education. In a culture like that, it's easy for us in the church to begin to fall into a mentality that there is a physical solution for every problem. When I think of this, I often think of the story told in Acts. Acts 3, um, verses 1 through 8. The story goes like this. As one day, Peter and John were going up to the temple at the time of prayer at three in the afternoon. Now a man who was lame from birth was being carried to the temple gate called Beautiful, where he was put every day to beg from those going into the temple courts. When he saw Peter and John about to enter, he asked them for money. Peter looked straight at him as did John. Then Peter said, look at us. So the man gave them his attention, expecting to get something from them. And Peter said, silver or gold I do not have, but what I do have I give you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, Nazareth, walk. Taking him by the right hand, he helped him up, and instantly the man's feet and ankles became strong. He jumped to his feet and began to walk. Then he went with them into the temple courts, walking and jumping and praising God. Wow. Just thinking about that kind of blows me away in the fact that wouldn't it be neat to see that today? To see something like that today? Why don't we see that? Why don't we see th- things like that happening in our churches today? I think we're just focused on the physical problem again and look for an immediate solution. Well, as a firefighter, that's my DNA. The alarm calls, I'm immediately thrust into a crisis or a tragedy, and I got to fix it. Right? That's an immediate solution to the problem that I'm ex- exposed to. Now, imagine if Peter had money and had given him some to the guy that was lame. The next day, the man would have needed money again, would he not? Because he still can't walk. His problem isn't really solved. It's only put off for a little while. Peter recognized that even though he didn't physically possess anything to help the man, He possessed something far greater. He possessed spiritual authority over that man's problem. He somehow recognized that the man didn't need a physical temporary solution, but he needed a healing. And the same is true for so many things that we will encounter as a church. The problems may manifest in the physical realm, but they are really spiritual problems. We have to know that our real fight, even though it shows up in the physical sometimes is really in the spiritual world. For example, common cold. We all get them. It's not detrimental to mask the symptoms instead of treating the problem, especially because there really isn't anything else you can do. However, in our warfare against Satan's kingdom, we must treat the root problem. We may treat physical symptoms, excuse me, but unless we defeat the root cause, That is, unless we can solve the spiritual problem, our work is useless. Our great plans for winning lost souls aren't going to win the war for us. Great education in how to win the lost isn't going to do it. A lot of money and the best resources aren't going to do it. Our great arguments for Christianity aren't going to win the war. While all these things are good and even necessary, unless we defeat the controlling powers in the spiritual realm, we'll never win the war. The good news is that we can through spiritual warfare. We can defeat Satan's kingdom and establish God's kingdom here in our community. 
we can pull down the strongholds that are holding people back from accepting the gospel. The eyes of people's hearts that are blinded by Satan can be opened for them to see the truth. Let's turn to Ephesians. If you got your Bible, I ask you to do that. We're going to go to Ephesians 6. That's where the main core of our text is going to be today, verses uh, 13 through 18. All right, starting with verse 13. Therefore, put on the full armor of God, so that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground, and after you have done everything to stand, stand firm then with the belt of truth buckled around your waist, with the breastplate of righteousness in place, and with your feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. In addition to all this, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. Take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God, and pray in the Spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests. With this in mind, be alert and always keep on praying for all the Lord's people. In looking at the text, the first weapons that we see are listed, they're defensive weapons. As is always true in warfare, going into the enemy's territory is dangerous. Going into our an area controlled by the enemy always has risks. However, God does not send us on our own, unequipped into enemy territory. Instead, he carefully explains the preparations that we must take to protect ourselves against the attacks that are sure to come when we charge enemy ground. This is why Paul starts in verse 14. He says, stand your ground. All right, stand your ground. Not only is each individual at risk when they go into battle, but when you launch an offensive attack, there's always a risk of losing ground. When you're inside your foxholes with your machine guns ready, it's hard for the enemy to overcome you. But when you leave your foxholes and get into open ground to charge the enemy line, you're vulnerable. So the first consideration in planning any offensive is defense. You don't want to charge forward when you're not ready because not only will you not gain anything, you may actually lose something that you already had. The reason, oh, where did I go? Oh, there it is. <laughs> this is true for spiritual warfare as well. When we follow God's instructions, I believe we do not put ourselves at risk. But if we hasten to battle without carefully preparing our defenses, I believe that we unnecessarily put ourselves and our fellow soldiers at risk. So, I'm going to go through the armor, and it's not going to be in order because I'm not, if I go with the belt of truth, then I won't be able to get my pants in. Uh, you know, so I'm going to go a little out of order here. So the shoes of peace, all right? The shoes of peace. If we got, there you go. We got a cool slide here. So on the left, we have the, uh, the Roman soldier or the soldier himself. Um, talks about each part of those, and then the right is a comrade who looks very similar to what I would normally look like. Um, the only thing I do not have here with me today is my face piece and what is on his shoulders, which is the breathing apparatus that allows me to go into the, the uh, fire. So the shoes of peace. I'm going to refer that to um, the boots, my fire boots. Satan would love, as we fight against his kingdom, to steal our peace. He would love to fill our hearts and minds with anxieties of all sorts. The reason for this is that when we are worried or anxious, then we focus on that instead of focusing on the battle. The fact is that if we're worried about going, chances are we're not going to go. 
Furthermore, how can we go to the people who are lost and announce to them that they can have joy and peace when we ourselves might not have it? Philippians 4, verse 6 and 7 says, Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your requests um, to God. And then the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. God tells us not to worry, but to pray instead, and he will give us peace. Shoes are used for walking, right? There's a song about that, I think. And just as I've already said, if we're anxious, we won't march forward to battle. Think about walking on a beach, for example. I don't know about anybody else, but when I go to the beach and walk around, I, I do a barefoot. I walk very carefully, though. Why do I do that? I always look to make sure there's, that someone didn't leave a broken bottle there, maybe, or uh, a sharp broken shell is there that I'm going to step on. In fact, when I recently vacationed in Florida, I wore my little rubber Crocs, <laughs> and it allowed me ability to freely stroll on the beach, right? Spiritual warfare is, is kind of the same. We can't be afraid of what we might encounter where we march into enemy territory. But when we have God's peace, it's like those shoes. We don't worry about what we're going to step on because we know whatever it is, God will absorb it for us and it won't harm us. Now we can go forward without fear or anxiety because there is nothing left to be worried about. We have God's peace. So, all right, this is what I normally do when a call comes and I flip off those and I walk over here of course, I have to have this stuff fully dressed within two minutes, right? Otherwise, they say I'm not a competent firefighter. So I step into my boots, and I'm going to pull up my pants. Get that thing behind me up. All right. So these boots, they're fire boots. They're a little dirty, but that's how they roll. On the bottom, they have a steel plate that runs the entire bottom, and there's a steel toe. Because you never know what I'm going to walk into, and if I step on something sharp, guess what? I'm out of action. So shoes of peace I need to have in place so that I have peace in my mind to go do my job. All right? Amen? All right. We're going to the next part. The body armor of God, righteousness. I will say righteousness. I'm going to refer that to my turnout coat. All right? My turnout jacket. When we're fighting against Satan's kingdom, not really we're fighting against his control over people. And that control shows itself mainly in sin. Before someone believes, we know that they are a slave to sin. So naturally, Satan, while, would, while you're working hard to free other people from the grasp of sin, try to ensnare you in sin again. So the warning is found in Jude, verse 1 through 23, which is not on there, but I'll read it. It says, rescue others by snatching them from the flames of judgment. There are still others to whom you need to show mercy. But be careful that you aren't contaminated by their sins. There's always a risk when we're in the trenches fighting against sin by getting close to it, we will be contaminated from it. This is especially true about a sin that, uh, about a sin that previously ensnared you. I, for example, wouldn't have a problem being around a person who's drinking alcohol while trying to rescue people because it's never been a problem for me. Yet... I need to be aware of that, though. There are other things, however, that I know are my weaknesses, and I have to be very careful when I'm dealing with those things. We have to use some wisdom in the battle. Keep in mind that you don't gain anything 
if you go to the enemy territory to rescue others from sin and you end up staying there and getting caught back up in sin yourself, right? You haven't gained anything. In fact, you've lost something. Obviously, though, when you see someone who's caught up in the same kinds of sin you once were, you can connect with them in a special way. First, you can feel a genuine sorrow for them because you know exactly what they're going through. All right? Been there. You know their pain, their sorrow, and what leads them to sin. Even more so, you can share with them how you found the, found the way out of that sin. So the solution isn't to stay away forever from the types of sin you once were enslaved to. Instead, you have to use wisdom and know when you are weak and when you are strong. And secondly, you have to recognize that your righteousness is really God's righteousness, which he has given to you as a free gift. In your own strength, you could never resist temptation. But it's not your own strength that you have to rely on. Because you have been freely given God's righteousness, even when you go out into the world of sin, you can live that righteous life. So another term for the breastplate or a body armor, again, is my turnout gear. A breastplate shielded a warrior, as we go back to that picture, a big breastplate on his chest. It, it, it protected his vital organs from the blows that would otherwise be fatal to that soldier. The righteousness is not works of righteousness done by men. Rather, this is righteousness of Christ, imputed by God and received by faith, which guards our hearts against the accusations and charges that Satan will use. So my my jacket, my coat, protects my vitals from the flames, from the heat, from the intense stuff that I'm going to see. So I'll put this in this guy on. It's going to get warm in here, I know that. All right. Hopefully my jacket won't mess with the mic. And I'm not going to zip it up totally because, again. So if I were to have it on correctly, this is going to get buckled up. This strap's going to go across. And everything is not, is not going to be exposed. All right. The next part, the belt of truth. The belt of truth, which is... I would consider it to be my spanner belt, all right? It's fitting that the belt of truth is the first piece of the whole armor of God. John 14, 6 says, Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life, and it's only through him that we come to God. Therefore, the truth is of the utmost importance in the life of a Christian. Without truth, the rest of the armor would be of no use to us because we would not have the spirit of truth. In referring to the whole armor of God, Paul invokes the image of a soldier. He's ready for battle. The belt of the Roman soldier um, in Paul's day was not a simple leather strap that we would wear today, but it was a thick, heavy leather, um, and it had a metal band that hung down in the front. You can see that metal band there. So he would put a sword in there. He would put other weapons in there. But the belt of the truth, the belt of truth of the spiritual armor holds the sword of the spirit, linking truth and the word of God. The word of God is truth, right? Amen. So depending on the translation of Ephesians 6.14, we are to fasten the belt of truth around us. That's an ISV. Buckle the belt around our waist, the NIV. Gird our waist 
with truth, the King James, or gird our loins with truth, the American Standard. No matter the word, and we are to actively lay hold of the truth and use it. The belt of truth is a crucial piece of defensive armor guarding our inmost being in the battle against the lies and deceptions of the enemy. Without an understanding of truth, we are left vulnerable to being carried about by every wind of doctrine, by the trickery of men, by craftiness and deceitful schemings. The belt of truth protects us from Satan's lies and his attacks. When we hold them against God's word, we see their shortcomings, and in doing so, it can prepare us for battlefield. Well, the spanner, as I said, is pretty important for me. I will put it around my waist, and it it has a lot of uses, but first and foremost, if I had a cool axe here, it would hold my axe. All right? The second thing it does is it keeps this bulky jacket in tight so I'm not entangled or entrapped. Okay, it keeps everything in tight to my body. The shield of faith. We have the shield of faith he's holding there. Um, as we make war on Satan, we don't have to wonder if maybe Satan is going to attack us. We know he's going to, right? He will. The fact is that if he hasn't attacked you lately, you're probably not doing anything worthwhile for the kingdom. Right? So we know surely that if we're warring against him, Satan is going to attack us. And there are, as we've seen, so many different ways that Satan tries to attack us. We only have to look at, at just a, a few of those. Um, man, it gets hard to get lost here. <laughs> oh, oh, so there are many ways that he, he really does try to attack us. We only have to look at just a few of the ways because naming all of Satan's different plans would take hours, if not days, and I'm not going to go there. We don't have that time. So those attacks are called fiery arrows that the enemy aims at us. He tries in many ways to destroy us. Because if we're destroyed, we cannot fight against him. But whatever the enemy throws at you, there is one solution. And that solution is faith. Hebrews 11, 1 says, it's faith. It's the confident assurance that what we hope for is going to happen. It's the evidence of things that we cannot see. Right? And this is key. Right? He is for us. We have to have faith that no matter what the enemy throws at us, God will protect us. The picture of the, the soldier holding that shield, it was made of leather so that it, they would wet it. And um, so when the arrows came, it would be squelched. It would also protect them and ward off the, the, the arrows that were coming. But if one stuck on it because it was damp and wet, it would put that thing out. And he won't get a, he won't get burned, All right? So we know that God is for us. I want to look at the, an example of Job. Satan so desperately wanted Job to turn his back on God. He took away Job's wealth and killed his sons, and even brought him physical torment with boils. Then, to top it off, he got some friends with bad advice to make him feel even worse. But Job never gave in to all this pressure. And you know why? Because he had faith. Job 19, verse 25 says, I know that my Redeemer lives, and that in the end, he will stand on the earth. 
Job had faith. He saw ahead to what he could not yet see in the physical. He trusted that in the end, God would save him and make everything right. He was able to look at all the terrible circumstances around him and completely ignore them. Instead of believing them, he believed that God's promises were true and that God would protect him. So the enemy is going to throw stuff your way, right? And it may seem for a time that he's successful. In those times, there's a temptation to question God and wonder why he isn't protecting us. But it's only when we go that way that Satan is going to succeed with his arrows. If we have faith in God, the Bible promises us that all of Satan's fire arrows will be quenched. He'll miss every time. It's when we begin to doubt God and lose our faith that Satan's attacks can really hit us. But as long as we have faith, that is, we see ahead to the day when the victory will be evident. The fire arrows of the evil one cannot hit us or hurt us. So picture the gentleman on the right. Um, he's got his breathing apparatus on. So that would be the next thing that I would put on. I would put my breathing apparatus on so that I can enter into the toxic, toxic corrosive environment in order to do my job. Because with, without it, one breath, I'm down. I'm out. I mean, especially with what our buildings are being made of and everything that's in them now with the plastics and one breath, I would be out. So with that breathing apparatus, I can go in and do my job, right? Then the next one, the helmet, the helmet of salvation. Paul was writing this letter to the church. These were people who already had salvation. They didn't necessarily need to put on salvation because they had it already. And we know that you don't have to continue to become saved every day, right? Instead, I think you can see two things here. If you're engaging in spiritual warfare, you better make sure that you're saved. This is simply because spiritual warfare doesn't involve magic formulas, but spiritual authority. That has only been given to those who believe. Acts 19, verses 13 through 16. All right. Some Jews went around driving out evil spirits. And they tried to invoke the name of the Lord Jesus over those who were demon-possessed. They would say, in the name of the Jesus whom Paul preaches, I command you to come out. Seven sons of Sceva, a Jewish chief priest, were doing this. One day the evil spirit answered them, Jesus I know and Paul I know about, but who are you? Then the man who had the evil spirit jumped on them and overpowered them all, and he gave them such a beating that they ran out of the house naked and bleeding. These men were trying to do spiritual warfare, but without the helmet of salvation to protect them. Now keep in mind that this is not a warning to believers to worry about the devil. These were people who had no authority over Satan. They didn't have salvation. The second truth in the statement is for those who already have salvation, I think that it's connected to the concept of a helmet. A helmet protects your brain or your mind. Think. This is where Satan tries to win a lot of battles that he knows he couldn't win anywhere else. Often Satan will try to condemn believers and make, their doubt, make them doubt their salvation because he knows if they doubt their own salvation, they will be too fearful to attack him. He tries to condemn the saints because he knows that otherwise they will condemn him. But remember the scripture, Romans 8, verse 1. It says, Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Satan cannot take your salvation from you. 
But if he can attack your mind and make you think that you've lost your salvation somehow, then he has won the victory. However, Paul tells us to wear the protection of our salvation. When we are saved and we know it, Satan cannot penetrate our minds. All right, so my helmet, which is, who lifted this way? Somebody did. Anyway, we put that on your head. It is pretty heavy. So my helmet um, really protects me from the falling debris and the embers, which would hinder my efforts. I'll put it on for you for a second, but I'm not going to leave it on because it is heavy. And it's going to mess with the night. Right. So anything that's going to fall down, um, this baby will help me protect my head. All right. Defensive. So th therefore, we talked about defensive weapons so far. Um, now we're going to get into some of the offensive ones. Ephesians 6, verse 17 um, and 18. It says, take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God, and pray in the Spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests. With this in mind, be alert and always keep on praying for all the Lord's people. The sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. Get that down. Um, the sword of Spirit, which is the Word of God. I will, I will say that I will say the uh, extinguisher is my offensive weapon. It's what I would use to go, go fight a fire. So the, the word of God is like a sword. It's a defensive and it's an offensive weapon. It's both. First, we'll look at its defensive capabilities. Even Jesus, when he was fighting against Satan in the wilderness, temptation used the word of God as his weapon. So even Jesus, when he was fighting against Satan in his wilderness temptation, he used the word of God as his weapon. Time will per permit me to read the whole story, but three times Satan came to Jesus and told him to do something. And three times Jesus responded with, the scriptures say. Even one of the times, Satan quoted the Bible to Jesus, twisting its meaning for his own use. But Jesus quickly came back with, the scripture also says, in order to use the word of, as a weapon, you have to know the word of God well. If Jesus didn't know the scriptures well, not only would he have been able to, not only would he have been not been able to turn uh, uh, Satan away, he would have fallen for Satan's trick when he misquoted scripture. And if Satan tried his trick on Jesus, do you think he's not going to use it on you or me? He's gonna. So we have to constantly read and study and meditate scripture. So that, like the psalmist, you can say that in Psalm 119, 11, I have hidden your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. Right? You have to have that. Um, I, I was challenged by Pastor Al. He said, get some, get some nuggets of truth. Memorize one nugget of truth a month. So at the end of the year, you've got 12 nuggets that you can hold on to. When Satan comes to you and he wants to beat you up, you fight back with truth, with the word. So the word of God is that offensive weapon, right? It's, it's something that we can really inflict damage on Satan's kingdom. It's where we draw authority over Satan. If not for the word of God, then we don't have any authority. Well, because we read about the 
authority in the Bible, we can exercise that authority. Matthew 28, I think we have scripture for that. Verses 18 through 19. Yeah, no? All right. Then Jesus came to them and said this, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. We can see that in this scripture that Jesus had has complete authority on the earth, including Satan. And Jesus, when he commanded his followers to spread the gospel or the good news, he didn't expect them to do it on their own. All right? He gave them their, that authority. So we, as soldiers for Christ, have the same authority that Jesus had over spiritual forces. And we base this authority on, on this, the promises of Scripture. That's where our authority lies. Remember that our goal in our war on Satan's kingdom is to set people free from his grip. And this is where the Word of God is very a very, very effective weapon. Hebrews 4.12 says, For the word of God is alive and it's active, sharper than any double-edged sword. It penetrates even to divide soul and spirit, joints and marrow. It judges the thoughts and the attitudes of the heart. The word of God cuts deep, differentiating between real joy, fake joy, real peace, fake peace, real good works, and fake good works. And in light of the word of God, men and women have no choice but to accept the fact that they are in a miserable condition. Isaiah 55, 11 says, So is my word that goes out from my mouth. It will not return to me empty, but will accomplish what I desire and achieve the purpose for which I sent it. God's word is powerful. It's a powerful tool that we can use to rescue people from their slavery to sin. We can learn all kinds of methods and strategies, that, and that's good. We can hone our arguments until they're perfect. And that's good. But it is the word of God going out that is going to bring in the harvest of souls. That means that we as soldiers must read, study, and understand his word if we're going to use it effectively. It isn't just a matter of memorizing a few scriptures and quoting them at Satan. Even though that's very important to memorize, it's more than that. It's growing to understand the scriptures so that when the enemy tries to tempt us, we know that we know what's right and what's wrong because we know that what the, what God's word says, all right? And when we seek to bring people to Christ, we have the good news for them because we read it. We're living it. And when they have questions or challenges, we're ready because we know the word of God as well. So extinguisher. So there's a... It's a fire. I'm going to walk in with my gear on, and I'm going to pull this out, and I'm going to put the fire out. All right? It, it, it quenches the flames just as the Word of God will quench the lies and the deceptiveness of what Satan is throwing at us. So the last part here, I think in addition to putting on all this armor, there are two things that we must do while we're waging war on, on Satan's kingdom. We all wear many hats and we're involved in a lot of things in life. Let's just say we're really busy, right? Right? I, I know I got a lot of hats I wear and I'm busy. It's so easy to forget that we're at war. 
The enemy wants to lull us into complacency when we forget that we're at war so that he can blindside us and attack us when we don't expect it. Because we know that his plan, we have to determine to remain alert. So the latter part, verse 18 in Ephesians 6 says, remain alert. When the enemy tries to attack us, we're ready. That means we have to pray continually because we never know when the battle is going to happen. We have to meditate on his word and study it continually because we never know when a battle will come. That's the message of alertness. You can't segment your life into spiritual warfare and the rest of your life. You can't be a soldier for God on Sundays and not the rest of the week. When you enlist in God's army, it's a full-time commitment. Just like those that have served in armed forces. When they're in, they're in. There is no reserves. Once you make that commitment, you have to remain vigilant at all times. And the latter part of this verse says, we are told to pray in the spirit. That is with the mind of Christ, with his heart and his priorities. In addition to wearing this armor, we cannot neglect prayer as it is the means by which we draw the spiritual strength from God. The full armor of God, truth, righteousness, the gospel, faith, salvation, the word of God and prayer, they're the tools that God has given us through which we can spiritually be victorious over Satan's attacks and his temptations. So if the worship team would come up. In closing, if you if you left your house in the morning dressed like a firefighter, like I have my stuff on right now, you'd kind of look and feel pretty silly, I would imagine. Fortunately, that is not, uh, that's not necessary. The full armor of God, though invisible, it is just as real, and when used properly and worn daily, it provides solid protection against the enemy's onslaught. Father God, we do thank you that we have the protection that you've laid out for us. Father, help us to take every part, put it on, so that when the attacks come, we're able to stand firm. We're able to stand our ground for you. We're able to share the word, which is the uh, truth, which will free those that are ensnared. Father, may you do a wondrous thing to those that walk according to your plan. We pray that in your son. Amen.